Bitcoin has seen some somewhat predictable uh, retracement, a bit of a correction over the weekend. But all eyes now are really on the Fed meeting next week. I believe it's on May 3rd. And parsing all the data that's likely coming out this week to try to guess and decide what the Fed might do next week. Now, we try not to uh, dive too deeply into the minutia and to zoom out here. But we are, as always, going to discuss everything that's going on with the macro with myself and Mike McGlone and Dave Weisberger. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit the like button. You may have noticed we accidentally had the stream scheduled for 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and then it changed to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And now we are obviously here at 9.33 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we apologize if you did not get the notification and didn't know what time, but hopefully everybody will now figure it out that we didn't just magically change our live stream time by roughly seven hours and that I still exist in Florida, United States of America. So guys, a lot going on this week. Obviously, I think the talk certainly of the community has been the retracement in Bitcoin, the larger retracement in altcoins. But that's not generally the core of what we discuss here on a Monday. We talk about macro and we have a big Fed decision coming up. Gonna bring on Mike and Dave. Dave, you are in that time zone right now. <laughs> yep, in sunny Tel Aviv, and I mean really sunny. <laughs> yeah, I think yes. Then we can blame you for the time for the time uh, for the time problem. It was just Dave's fault. Dave did it, guys. No, he didn't really. <laughs> We've hopefully yeah, well. got you upside down over there and, and confused as to as to what time it's going on. Mike, welcome, man. I, I know you're uh, still in my my time zone. So listen, yeah, let, let's dive right in. Uh, There's an article in Bloomberg, Fed's next rate move may crystallize with coming data, right? And we're talking about U.S. reports this week on growth, prices, wages, Eurozone GDP, BOJ governor's debut decision. Mike, does any of this matter? Is the Fed going to do what they're going to do? What are they looking at right now in advance of this meeting? And does it really matter? (laughs) I think think the only thing that's going to stop them from raising there at 92% that they go 25 on the May 3rd meeting is a pretty sharp correction in the stock market. I still think that's the main problem that people are not figuring out yet. Even the debt crisis might not get resolved until the stock market makes it get resolved. It's just how these things are right now. So I got to meet with David, Dave Alteg of the Atlanta Fed last week. And he, um, you know, I, I, I think he was surprised that when I told him, do you realize that the producer price index, it's only been around 75 years, it's falling at the fastest pace in the history of that index. And he kind of like gave me a ham. Now he, he was very good. I really thought he was nuanced in the meeting, but he did point out they thought they handled this banking crisis well. It didn't say it, but my implication I get from his oh, because the stock market and the markets did okay, with the response. So they didn't do much. It was the Treasury that did it. But the key things I'm pointing out right now is I have to warn our VIS listeners, need a little bit of a disclaimer because my job is just to be a trader. I mean, I used to sit in those phones. I was a trader and I spent my whole time trying to help people mitigate risk and make money. We didn't have a view about anything except to try to make money. And my view right now is I'm bearish almost everything. Bitcoin, Ethereum, stock market, except for long bonds and gold. And I have to say why, because 
same kind of same narrative. We bounce to really good levels. And the sense I'm getting in cryptos and doing all my research is the worst is over. And I look at that as a trader. When you've got money on, you man, and you sense everybody thinks the worst is over, yet there's a significant fundamental reasons for the worst not to be over. I haven't even started the recession. The Fed's still tightening. And cryptos are still they bounced, then you want to structure positions accordingly. So I think this 30,000 level uh, in Bitcoin, 22,000 level in Ethereum are pretty serious. And when I can say things like a fact that hedge fund positions, managed money net positions in bonds, tens and five-year futures, this was my brethren. This is why I started ever. business. <laughs> Shortest ever. Yes. And when you can say that, and there's only one case and example that was close, was 2018. That was right around bond yields. Ten years peaked around 3% and then dropped to next to zero. I look at that and was like, oh, in that environment, you want to be selling stock market, buying treasuries, buying whatever they're short. I'm glad you knew that. That's, maybe that's and, and buying things like gold. And you don't want to be long any risk assets. Now, yes, it could be wrong in the short term. Maybe we're just hedging. But I, this is an example of how I think technology has changed. I remember in the mornings when in the trading pits, you, first thing you'd go in the morning is you get the sheets. And you check out what positions were and what open interest did and stuff. Now it's all electronic, you know, instantly. Now, this, this data is once a week. But to me, it's just how it's migrating so fast. I see that kind of data. And I see what happened recently at crude oil. It, it bounced for a good reason. OPEC, it just squeezed the shorts going back to bear market. Copper, going back to bear market. And the sense I'm getting is, most people are saying, oh, I'll buy the dip. I'm like, these are significant bear markets and commodities. You're supposed to sell rallies. And everything is teetering to me on the stock market. And cryptos might be pointing out you're supposed to be doing that short term. Now, yes, you've heard this narrative from me before. It takes a while. I remember 2007. It was a really tough year for me. Um, I was trading them. But this is why I see everything at the moment now. And just the key thing I want to mention, um, leaving you with, is this um, – <coughs> I think we're on the cusp of a significant deflationary cliff, and the only thing that's holding it up is the stock market. It has to stay higher, or things like crude oil is going to just drop to 40. I don't see what stops it other than things I can't predict, like wars. I just want to, Dave, I know you're going to jump in and go deep into that, but uh, in 2018, though, that all happened, but it was relatively quick, and then the Fed pivoted hard. So that's the difference. The Fed will never do that again. I mean, and I, I think for the rest of our, well, maybe I wouldn't say our lifetimes, but for the rest of this narrative, Dave remembers post-87 crash. We couldn't ever get into a, a, a steepener because everybody knew what happened during that crash. The narrative is going to be, okay, the Fed needs to ease. Economy's tipping over. Inflation's tilting towards deflation. And the Fed's going to, we're going to all, there'll be the major consensus out there. Well, they can't ease with the ease they have in the past because of inflation they created last time. So to me, that's the, that to me is the bearish scenario that markets are starting to price for. It's pricing for 50 basis points for actually by December, we're pricing for four and a half percent and rates are going to go up above 5% in next week or two weeks. Um, and to me, that's just not going to happen until markets force them to. This is a new, it's a new world that people who have been buying dips in the stock market forever are, are not accustomed to yet, I don't think. Have at it, Dave. You're, you're so, yep, here you go. Uh, oh, am I, can, okay. No, you're good. That so, was my bad. You were ready. There's a lot <laughs> in there to, un, there's a lot in there to unpack. Uh, I'm going to start with the right-hand, left-hand analogy I've often talked about. Uh, if you look at the spread between overnight and three-month T-bills, 
it is rather amusing. Uh, it's an interesting curve. Mike can pull it up on the Bloomberg. To be honest, I'm on vacation. As I said, I'm in Tel Aviv, so I'm not like looking at it like a hawk. But you know, having read the excellent crypto is macro newsletter from my friend Noel, uh, you know, she points this out. I think it's fascinating. And effectively, what you have is a market who is sensing uh, trouble of brewing with the debt ceiling, and people are afraid to take risk out on the curve, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's kind of a silly reason. Uh, I think a more obvious one is people think that the Fed's hands may get forced, and they may think that there's risk at the debt ceiling for uh, a couple of outcomes. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. And after this Fed meeting, uh, let's keep in mind two things. First, 5% interest rates are not harmful to risk assets in the history of risk assets. It merely feels harmful in the history of risk assets compared to 0% interest rates, which we had for a long time. That is important. Now, that said, earnings flows, discounted cash flow models, things that us dinosaurs like Mike and I remember, <laughs> will obviously have a stock price PE valuation rather different at 5% than at 0%. But assets where you don't have E, you don't have cash flows, the real question is, what's it worth? And Let's not forget, and we all know that I'm not a Bitcoin maxi, but I do believe that there's Bitcoin and the rest of crypto. And while they are incredibly correlated still, at some point they decorrelate. The Bitcoin narrative, I think, will ultimately end up being more like the gold narrative and not like the technology narrative. But I think that the technology narrative is more like the emerging pre-earnings technology narrative. And so what I mean by that is this. We've seen... Argentina's central bank pausing the ability to act for two days. This is not good for people who believe in fiat money. This is an excellent advertisement for Bitcoin. At the same time, the demand drivers for Bitcoin are really people who are afraid of trust in the system. Let us not forget how small the market is. It would take one significant investor to take Bitcoin not just back up past 30, but back up to the old trading range, the one that I keep calling for, which is the 38 to 42 range, not the 28 to 32 range. Literally, there's just not enough of it floating. We are at all-time highs in every other metric in terms of long-term holders, in terms of hash rate, et cetera. And yeah, Bitcoin corrected. Okay, so you know, the 28 to 32, now it's 27 to whatever. I mean, it, it, these are someone... Who, who I used to read a lot, uh, a newsletter writer used to call them squiggles. The truth is we are still well above any of the crisis lows. And the fact is, is there's still more speculation. So people got leverage to the long side on this move and got washed out. I've said this a million times on this stream, Scott, you know, people who play with leverage in this market with an 80 vol asset, almost deserve what happened, what's happening to them at this point. Hopefully they had tight stops and they lost small pieces of their position, but the fact is that happens all the time. My point, however, is that there's lots of things going on the macro side. I mentioned the, the overnight to three-month uh, spread, where the three, which is just incredibly positively steep, despite the 10-year to three-month spread not looking like that. We also have shortages of dollars around the world. And there's good arguments to be made that while the Fed will probably hike again, and maybe they'll only slowly cut rates when and if markets start to tank because they're worried about the political ramifications or they're worried about the wealth effect or whatever they worry about, 
The fact of the matter is that they're adding liquidity at the same time. There is still an enormous amount of Fed liquidity on tap for banks that have problems, and people know that. And the commercial real estate market since the last time we talked, which is first a few weeks ago, uh, it has worsened dramatically uh, under the covers. Now they're private, you don't get to see it. But the fact is office occupancy is now projected to stay at these low levels. And that's definitely something that people that the Fed have their eyes on. So will they increase liquidity by one measure while increasing nominal rates in order to, you know, to kind of put the continue to put the, the consumer price genie back in the bottle? Uh, yeah, that's possible. The reality is, however, if you're watching liquidity, that's what matters. The rate, the nominal rate is what matters. It's the amount of money sloshing around the system. And so that that's sort of my thought process. My thought process is, and I said it last time, so this isn't going to surprise anyone, that we're probably range-bound for a while until we get to a direction. One more point with with uh, a shout-out to uh, Mike's uh, colleague, Joe Wiesenthal, a.k.a. the stalwart. The fact is, the Democrats now are, are starting to leak to the, the, the left-wing media that they're not happy with the lack of negotiation, so maybe we will get a resolution to this crisis. But if we don't, then the only real trick up the sleeve of the administration is to print the platinum coin. I still think it's a ridiculously unlikely event unless uh, Secretary Yellen steps down. Don't laugh. If, if Secretary Yellen steps down and he puts in somebody who is pro that, it will happen because that takes away all the Republican leverage. And this is a game of chicken. And sometimes one party, when they play a game of chicken, sticks the two by four. We've all seen flash dance. You stick the two by four in and you say, okay, guys, you're going to swerve off the road. It is not a likely scenario, but it is an enormously uh, tail. It's an enormous tail risk to people's short risk assets. Let's just put it that way, particularly ones that are hyper correlated to lack of dis lack of trust in fiat currency. So I want to keep people. Since this is the last meeting before we'll know whether that that, that happens. It's definitely something to pay out to. I, basically, what I just said boils down to be careful out there, people. <laughs> You have a lot of uh, potential volatility events in both directions on the horizon. I don't know which one will happen. I wonder how many of our listeners and uh, watchers have seen Flashdance, because that would give us a very good idea of just uh, what, uh, what generation we're speaking to here. I thought, you know, it's a, it's a fixture of my childhood, for sure. You talked about, by the way, Fed liquidity. Um, interestingly, obviously, we saw this is the balance sheet I just did six months Obviously, we saw the balance sheet sort of dropping dramatically through this quantitative tightening, whatever you want to call it, cycle. Here's the banking, quote unquote, crisis, if that's what we want to call it. Obviously, a massive bump, but it is now dropping back down. So I guess it begs the question then, if they're tightening and this continues to drop, meaning there's no more bank failures or banks needing to borrow, then could we effectively be back into fully tightening without sort of uh, that push and pull of doing both in different places i mean mike what do you think do you think that uh we're just going to see this drop back down that was a temporary thing or maybe we get more uh bank wobbles and uh they they have to sort of inject more liquidity into the system you're muted mike you're muted sorry about that i i think the mark march bank issues are very much trees in the macro forest. And what was the main reason this happened? Because rates went up so fast and people didn't hedge properly. And the key point is rates are still going up. Yes, they're fixing each tree, but the forest is burning. 
Um, and I think that's the, the macro is overwhelming. The fact that the Federal Reserve is still tightening. Yes, they might stop soon. And the, lead, the, the, the rules of long and variable lags are just getting started. Um, and then there's also going to always be opportunities, markets that lag that. So to me, um, some of that stuff is which watch the money that's leaving banks. It's just cannot expect a credit contraction without that. You kind of not expect a pretty significant pressure on the economy when you see that, in particular the Fed tight. And the key thing is the foundation for all this is where were risk assets before all this started? Remember, they were the stock market was one of the most expensive ever in many other measures. So I look at what's happening now as part of that. Uh, slow moving trend. I see significant deflation in commodities, significant deflation in PPI, all the leading indicators, and a Fed still tightening. And the bank contractions is part of it. Now you look at things, okay, where's that going to matter? Let's look at um, housing, new homes under construction, peaking from the highest level ever. Data is only 50 years on that one. Home sales, Mortgage applications, I mean, this is clearly deflationary trends. And you look at the key thing that my colleague Anna Wong pointed out this morning was ECI and personal consumption expenditures will remain sticky. Those are the main inflation measures the Fed looks at, but that's the problem. They're still focusing on those things. So I, I look at it that um, this is things that I pointed out in 2007, and it's worse. Um, because back then, you actually had a stock market that wasn't as lofty compared to 10 years ago. <laughs> but so, 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 Mike, can I ask a question? Yes, sir. Given that you basically have called the Fed, I mean, you can pick whatever adjective you want, but let's just say less than optimally managed or kind of like walking around, looking, <laughs> you know, walking backwards on the boardwalk, not seeing the, the if anyone who goes to Wildwood, the tram car coming you know, basically walking backwards, looking at, at lagging indicators and ignoring all the leading indicators. How did you have a conversation with a Fed governor without effectively calling them dumb? Uh, I, I'm just curious because it's obvious what you think. So I pointed out some of the key facts and he pointed out and he also, um, it was very cordial. He's a very nice guy and what you'd expect. But he pointed out the key things that they look at, oh, it's kind of stuff I expected. And that is, oh, well, this is okay. All these data is okay. It hasn't really hit the fan yet, which means it's going to. All the net metrics they typically look at. But the one thing that really struck me was when he said that, like I mentioned, that he said he thinks we handled the banking crisis well. We still showed, his point was, we focused, we showed that we focused on the macro despite these banking issues. I'm like, what do you not get? And so we still tightened. And I think that's going to go back in history. I think a year from now, this is, I mean, what's our jobs? Our jobs to look for it. Now you do it with real money. I just say it. it's easier now because I don't have to run. I don't have to push the buy or sell button anymore. Um, and it's just those things that you've noticed your, your whole life and watched and said, okay, this is the opportunity. Now, if I'm wrong, we've already a lot of this priced in. We've had cryptos have had a good bounce. Stock markets already had a decent bounce. Um, Commodities already starting plunging, so maybe they're a buying opportunity. But if I'm wrong, a lot of it's priced in. It's the optionality of what you look at here when you're running the money. I look at the optionality here is that this trickles down into all the lessons of history kicking in. And that is the Fed. See, his quote for me was when I pointed that out, that fact, he says, there are some people at the Fed that agree with you. And then he left it there, that they've gone too far. That was my headline last week. The Fed's gone too far. Here's why. Um, and even like but so, our economists, like Anna Wong pointed out, it's these le the lagging measures of inflation that they're still focused on. I think they're so missing the 
the leading measures of markets. And but they have one thing on their side still. They would have stopped tightening if the stock market was down 10 percent this year. They but that's the problem. That to me is, is it's what, mute, but, but you realize how how ass backwards that is. Oh, of course, you, you but know, basically listen. the stock market is just assuming what you that the Fed put is still active and therefore saying we're not giving you the, the that until the shit really does hit the fan in the real economy. So that's and part it, of well, that's part of <laughs> that's just to finish what you're saying, but that's what part of, I started trickling about it a year ago, part talking about the greatest reset of our lifetimes. And I just writing about it more and more until I get something really dissuade me from that view. And that's part of the view. It's classic human nature. Smartest people on the planet, you get a hundred of them together and they'll think the same way, unfortunately, because they all have the same data. Great. But then Mike, people we, are running real money. Boom. It's, it's just that what's happening. It's classic human nature. I see. If we get the 25 bips hike, which I think, like you said, 90 something percent chance next week, and then they just pause for two, three, four meetings. How does that play into that? If we see no more hiking. So what's going to happen, according to my economist, Anna Wong, is by July, we're going to start having contractatory um, economic data. The U.S. is going to tilt towards recession. Um, and they were back in end of Q4 before. They're pushing it forward, making crisis part of it, because you can't just look at that credit contraction and expect the economy to expand. So that's when it's going to start trickling down. And then I think at some point, you're going to start seeing non-farm payrolls trickle down into negative. But it's a slow-moving part. And it's what, it's what Dave pointed out is the market just assumes the Fed's going to come and save us. And they're not. And they only will when it gets really bad. If the rules of economic history and the Fed, every single little dip in the last few years of those of us like, okay, it's down 20%, Fed's going to ease, I got to buy. Those days, people have not, it's human nature, they haven't adjusted to it yet, but they will. So I, I want to make one one point, you know, because you, you broke the difference between gold and the stock market and, 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 and lump Bitcoin in with the stock market. I actually think it will not work like that. Uh, I, I want to make it very clear. So Bitcoin... Uh, a year ago was trading in the 50s or it, it, it was below the 69 peak but before I, I think we're still before Luna collapsed nothing that happened I'm going to make a controversial statement well not that controversial in the crypto community but very controversial in the macro community nothing that happened in 2023 had anything to do with Bitcoin's value proposition at all. And in fact, if you look at the divergence of the growth of the network, growth of holders and all of the macro stuff going on with Bitcoin, in fact, and you look at it, it's, it's, it's the, 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 the spring, the divergence between the price action, it's significant. Now, of course, what did happen was the people who held Bitcoin and quote, believed in it, got flushed out of all their wealth by a bunch of other things that happened. And because, of course, they, you know, people get, get greedy, right? You know, fear and greed. You believe in Bitcoin, but you say, well, you know, Bitcoin's cool, but it's an 80 vol asset. I really want to get a 150 vol asset. I want to get, I want to be looking to make 100 times my money. And if you go on crypto Twitter, you can see this ad nauseum. The fact of the matter is nothing changed the value prop and nothing has hurt the, the underlying metrics of Bitcoin. And in fact, the macro as applies to that, is significantly, you know, has had incredible, you know, news. Whether it's the Hong Kong news, whether it's what's going on in Dubai, whether it's MICA passing, whether it's the UK going for a consultation, whether it's Argentina's bank, as we discussed, and all of that. So I think there's a real chance for a delinking to happen. I am not bullish. I want to be really clear: not bullish on the traditional stock market. I think, you know, tech, which is less sensitive to rates, who knows? People may start viewing 
you know, text box is a safe haven. I mean, we've seen all sorts of weird crap happen in, in our lifetime, Mike. But the fact is that deflation in the sense of, of, of prices that people can't afford, housing and physical goods, pretty much, I think you're right. I think the shit is going to hit the fan. And that's a fascinating scenario because where was Bitcoin born? It was born in the global financial crisis. And it was born, you know, in that. And, and I, on record, I think that we had our second seminal event uh, with this particular banking crisis that this time they nipped in the bud. I mean, they took out the bazooka, right? They put $4.4 trillion available to banks. And so people said, okay, I'm not going to go short bank stocks, right? I'm not going to go sell and pull my money out. I think that's a big difference. I think it's worth characterizing that. Now, I'm, once again, I am not talking about 2,000 crypto assets here. I'm talking about Bitcoin and yeah. potentially Ethereum if people look at it as a long-term play. And we haven't talked about Shanghai, but the data bears out my thesis from the last time we talked, which is that it's de-risked. So more likely that people would stake net inflows, which is exactly what I thought would happen. Uh, there's nothing and it to argue. Yeah, yeah. The only, the, I mean, the, the largest outflow was Kraken, who had a forced outflow because of obviously their uh, situation with the SEC and staking as a service. 70% of the outflows for that first two days or whatever was Kraken. Now we're seeing net inflows and only increasing. So hard to debate there, obviously, that, that, that you're wrong. I, I do like the idea that Bitcoin could decouple. I think it's certainly a small enough market that it could do anything. I mean, I've always sort of argued that Bitcoin is an, a largely uncorrelated asset, but I do think it's worth discussing, Dave. I agree with you on the, the second seminal event being the banking crisis, but Bitcoin did go down when the banks failed and it only went up when the liquidity was announced, right? Yeah. So a lot of people have pointed out that Bitcoin travels with the liquidity and not necessarily the news. So how do we parse that? Because Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Bitcoin performed poorly. Sunday, the Fed announcement hit and boom, Bitcoin went crazy. So that to me, I'm having a little trouble uh, sorting that. Well, I mean, let's just look at math. I mean, more or less Bitcoin went from 22 to 30. Okay, rough numbers, so it's whatever. So a 50% retracement of that very fast move is uh, not remotely surprising. And we haven't quite gotten to 50%. Uh, we're more like, you know, between 35 and 40, but it's not crazy to see a retracement of a really fast move and still maintain the structure of the market. It, it, the fact is, it's still trading as a very technical market. But the other things that I was seeing is the ratio of spot uh, trading the liquidity uh, to futures, which is pretty high right now compared to historical averages. Now, historical averages got kind of screwed up because FTX, as soon as FTX died, there was much less derivative trading. So you ended up with a higher spot. But if you kind of try to take that noise out, uh, according to the blocks data, at least, you know, spot trading seems to be at a higher percentage than usual, uh, which indicates there's been a lot of washing out. Uh, I don't think the washing out is complete. And what you're talking about, my case is spot buying, not, not futures buying. The futures buying is always trying to anticipate it. Some of the follow through didn't happen. They got washed out. Not, not terribly surprising. But the real question is, and I think it's exactly what would happen. If Mike is right, and I think there's a fairly reasonable chance that he is, and we see, you know, he, he clinically states it as contractionary uh, economic numbers. What that means is shit hits fan. Uh, unemployment starts to go up. People stop hiring. Uh, all the, the parts of the real economy start looking ugly. 
yeah, I mean, the, the Fed's going to react to that. Now, are they going to react to that with lowering rates? They... I think we just lost Dave there for a second with a little I, freeze. I, I can follow up on that one really quick. I think it's a good time to follow up because um, I think I completely agree. Bitcoin's going to decouple um, from the stock market and trade more at gold and long binds. The problem is every risk asset that went down last year is up this year. Bitcoin's just the leader. I mean, that makes sense. Okay, great. Got it. What we need to see stocks down, Bitcoin up. I fully expect we're going to see stocks down, bonds up and gold up. Maybe not initially and for gold, but that's the trade I think is going to be enduring for the rest of the year and might be enduring for 10 years, for five years. It's just the way the cycles usually work. We're way overdue for the boomers. Can I point one thing out, Mike? I just, I just oh, want to point out one thing. Yeah. Just one, one really quick thing. I, not only are you right, but if you look at the financial crisis, gold and everything went down for three months. And it took three full months for it yeah, to be so, I, so exactly. please, people, do not, any of your listeners, don't believe yeah. that I'm talking about immediately. I'm talking about a, you know, when, when the Titanic goes down, that, that, that within months, not days, not weeks, but months, I think you can start seeing Bitcoin trade, you know, more like the lifeboat or actually, you know, actually perform well like gold did in, in the aftermath of, of 2008. That's all I'm saying. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm going to have to no, leave. Right. So I wanted to make, I want to make that point. So that's the key. That's the key point. It's, it's trend versus trade. Um, the market still believes that the stock market trend is up. I think that's due for decoupling. The Fed stated it. It's chairman um, David Attic said, um, he said, we expect, uh, unemployment to go up and inflation go down. Now, it's virtually impossible to have unemployment trial from this level without a recession. It's just the way history's always worked when you have the lowest unemployment in 60 years. It always happened a few times. Um, and then it's uh, that sensation I think people are forgetting. And of course, he fully says we're on track for a soft landing. Priced in. Boom. Great. Everybody's priced in the soft landing. Where's your optionality? That we don't get a soft landing, that we get a normal reciprocal uh, cycle from the biggest pump in liquidity that's dumping ever. Now, Bitcoin was such a big part of that. Cryptos were such a big part. And we both agree 22,000, 23,000 cryptos is ridiculous. A lot of those have to just get purged. Ethereum probably do okay. Bitcoin should be the best one. But here's a fact. On a one-year basis, gold's up about 5%. Stock market's down about 5%. Bitcoin's down about 30%. Commodities down about 30%, 20%. That's a trend. And I think that's going to continue. But here's the key inflection point. Once we wake up one morning, it's going to happen. And you see, if I'm wrong, but at some point we have to see the stock market breaks. We have to see how Bitcoin responds. And I think the key thing that might be happening is Bitcoin can lead that. Cryptos can lead that because they're the most speculative assets in the world. They play a trade on weekends. A lot of times they just lead. Um, and then some point breakdown. So it was nice to see that the, the, the bank indices break down and Bitcoin break up. But now we're at that stage. I just get this every place I go, like uh, NFT, uh, Miami NFTs. Oh, it's an NFT um, winter. And, like, and you go to Bitcoin cryptos. Oh, it's a crypto winter. I'm like, no, it's an everything winter that's bounced. <laughs> this was the key thing I need to point out to people who only trade Bitcoin. And then there's people who never trade Bitcoin and trade equities is everything has been together with the Fed. And that's the key thing. The Fed is still we're fighting the Fed if you're too bullish here. I'm just hoping that the uh, the if they actually just raise one more time and then they pause, that people will 
sort of view that as not fighting the Fed anymore. But well, that uh, would maybe be that's good. wishful that, thinking. That would, that would be good. But the thing is how they're going to say, if they signal that, what that's what's that going to do? We all know it's going to, it will be that short covering rally. Everybody's going to say, oh, hope we am great. It's over. Fed's done tightening. Don't have to fight the Fed anymore. They're going to start easing. That's the opportunity. I mean, every single time we've seen this happen, and from the 29 crash to when you know markets first started heading lower and when Lehman was had issues in 2008, markets plunge, they go up, they give you a chance, they screw all the shorts, and then they go to a significant trend. Um, and to me, that's the stage right now. I just look at through histories. We're at that stage now where you're supposed to test the optionality of the trend, and that is my sense, like I said, is when everybody say that the uh, the worst is over after we have, to me, it was just a minor correction in the stock market historically, 20%, 25% is nothing. For those of us who've studied the history and who've been around actually losing money in these things, um, that, and for cryptos, it's normal. That the key thing, good news, is Bitcoin had its 80% correction. That's great. But it doesn't mean it can't go back and test 20, 15, 19 it doesn't mean Ethereum. My goal and my my target in Ethereum this year was going to trade between a thousand and two thousand, and then at some point break out higher. It just bumped up to two thousand, and it's backing off. But for good fundamental reasons, that's why I think to me every day that goes by, that ten is the Fed still tightening, and how's the stock market going to react? Yeah, I mean I, I've shared this chart a million times, but it's worth just mentioning one more time. I mean this is basically uh, yield curve inversion. Obviously, uh, is is blue. Uh, and then red is when the Fed pivots, or it's just uh, effectively Fed funds rate. And then obviously black is the market. And the market has gone down every single time after the Fed has pivoted, and we've not had the Fed pivot yet. Right? Yeah. I and mean, that's and what they, you're talking about here. Like you, you yeah. can see that the the red is still continuing up. We have not had the Fed pivot. If the Fed pivots, which would be basically seeing this red drop like this, then you get this big sort of black correction. Doesn't mean it'll happen again, but you know. Uh, well, I, I enjoy, but I enjoy the narrative that people say, okay, the recession's coming, the Fed might stop um, tightening, and the worst is over. <laughs> okay, well, good luck. That's that's your optionality to put on positions because um, it's just assumed it's priced in. That was the key thing I enjoyed about crude oil last year, and people are saying, oh, you're wrong, it's going to go to 150. I'm like, excuse me, but it's already priced in, and it's um, the you know that. This is going to be a bull market, so you, you got to take the optionality in that trade, which means you do the opposite. Um, so that's why I see this whole space is that every time I hear it that the worst is over, I have to. It tweaks that contrarian nature as a trader and as a guy who spent all his time helping clients make money and like, okay, well, then it's probably priced in. So what's next? Yeah, I think we all are consensus that we don't feel necessarily the worst is over. I think where maybe we slightly debate is is, is the worst over for Bitcoin. Right, Dave? I mean, that's kind of what you were talking about before. I mean, look, this correction that is uh, very, very, uh, has people very startled, new bear market going to 10,000, the narratives I'm seeing. Uh, today, we have a tap of the 50 MA, and that's the first retest of that since the break uh, over here in the banking crisis. I'm not saying that necessarily means we stop there, but you anticipate a retest of the 50 MA at some point is just a simple correction and mean reversion, right? I mean, that's not unusual. Uh, Dave, can you uh, Dave, hear us? I don't Dave's know if he's frozen. Yeah. Dave's up. So I'll respond to that real quick. I look at, so everything I look at when I come in this morning and analyze this, I look at, you look at, so what do you want to pull a trigger on? And my thought is um, people buying dips in Bitcoin, like, eh, okay, the trigger I think is worthwhile is structuring long positions in U.S. Treasury long bonds because they're so short. 
<laughs> and I see a resumption of a significant bull market. At some point, getting through that trade, getting through recession, and then using some, maybe, you know, I always think ahead and then, of course, you get stopped out and you move on and then using some of that and how that works out to to overweight Bitcoin. But it depends. Bitcoin to me is one of those things. I agree with you. It's going to come out ahead. But I, um, I I see right now as I look at everything is what you probably want to be looking at is what everybody's short. And that's U.S. Treasury bonds. It might be resuming one of the biggest bull markets in history. Hey, I would love to get a whole bunch of money back from Voyager uh, with Bitcoin up here and then see it go to ten or $12,000 if you're able to buy back my entire position. But I don't think that's going to happen necessarily. But the, the funny thing is, is I think there's a lot of people sort of sharing that sentiment who are caught yeah, in the contagion of, of 2022. Dave, I can see you waving. Maybe we'll hear you. You can try. Just got some uh, weak internet, I think, over there. I, I doubt that he yeah, can Yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to go. It feels like the internet is... I think so too. So anyway, take care. We'll, we'll talk soon. See you, Dave. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. We appreciate the effort. Uh, we know it's always fun to set up a stream on vacation. And hotel internet is never good enough for streaming, if people are, if were wondering. Literally uh, in inevitable that this happens every single time. So, Mike, I guess then we can dig into, do you think that there's any specific metrics right now that you would be watching? We kind of touched this on the beginning uh, not necessarily this week. I, I listed off a bunch of them at the beginning. I think the Fed's going to do what the Fed's going to do because they're not going to make, I don't think, a wild swing decision based on something they see this week. But is there any metric that you think could drastically change what they're seeing outside of a massive stock crash, which is what you've sort of said? Yeah, it's got to be something from um, like happening earlier. Banking, I think. Stuff that's, I think, that I, that's not unpredictable and that's, um the banking issue that's the thing that it's it's what's the consensus it's over it's okay so maybe something trickling back there that would make it um that would really make a statement i think um but bottom line is um how markets respond now we have durable goods orders um coming in on and uh, 26 um you know it's that's usually, I remember trading treasuries that would whip my face off sometimes. Durables, they would rip you off, rip, just come on a mess. We want to see, also see the trend in continuing claims, initial claims. GDP analyzed coming out, and that sometimes is so revised, it's not a big deal. So I, I think it's the initiating things, the things that have really been affecting the market already. Everybody's watching the stock market, won't go down. Okay, I get it. Um, it just, bulletproof, get it. That's wonderful. It can stay that way. But it's the uh, potential for the banking crisis to resume. Uh, this is gold, right? You mentioned that you think gold and, and, and long bonds. Mike Novogratz, when I had him on Spaces, said if gold can convincingly get above 2,000, which you can see it's continually being rejected there, it goes to 3,000. Do you yeah, agree with a 50% it, move in gold? That's that's nothing compared to the last time gold was in a similar pattern. It was right around 2008. It started 2008 around 850. It ended 2011 around 1900. So, yeah, yeah 19, that was. Well, it topped at 1920. That's, so yeah, it didn't. Yeah. Yes, Sounds yeah. like you were involved. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 I see similar nuances. I see potential two, three X's, but 3,000 is the next round level. But the key thing I think for this to happen is what is really pressured goal in the last 10 years is the U.S. stock market market outperforming the world. Now, this is a lesson I learned from my colleague, Gina Martin-Adams, our equity strategist. You measure that versus S&P 500 versus MSCI XUS. Straight up, it looks to me just like the stock market did in 1929, if you look on a chart. 
hovering fluctuates forever and then goes straight up and starts tilting down. You don't want to be long U.S. stocks in an environment. So that environment, but I mean, you don't want to be long gold in that environment, but it's tilting the other way. And it's got a good fundamental reason to do it. Not only structural, the boomers are all retiring and they, they got a chance to buy two notes right now at 4.15%. And right before the banking crisis, it was 5%. Still pretty attractive. In two years, you're going to get almost 9%. Let's say 8%, guarantee. Um, so to me, that um, is what is really pressured gold. But this is a stage I think we're going to go to right now. Um, this is what I'm anticipating is I love, and I've been publishing on this a lot lately, I love how crypto people call gold boomer rockets and completely dismiss it. I think gold's going to continue doing what it's been doing for a while. The last year it's outperforming Bitcoin, and I think that's going to do it for a while. To kind of just remind us that this asset is being bought by central banks at the greatest pace since 1967, <laughs> or something like that. It might have been 57, but you kind of got to go with that real money, because I mean, they can just print money and buy gold. <laughs> they're doing it and they're buying gold. So you got to go with that asset. Yes, it's been, it's kind of making it difficult at the moment. Trade's 1980 and it's just bumping them up above 2000. But what it needs is that break in the stock market. That's why I hate to say it. Everything keeps tilting on the US equity market. If it stays stable, then, and it keeps going back up again, despite the Fed tightening, then why do you want gold when the US stock market outperforms everything? It's the yeah. potential for that big decoupling. So also a key part of that, Scott, was the US dollar was very highly correlated with gold with with stocks the last 10 years stocks outperforming us you know it's all us us um and i'm not anti-us but i'm just looking for a reversion in the one of the biggest trades in history and that was at least for a decade where the only place to be was us stock market and then you look at forwards the us um um for tightening the us is expected to pause soon and we have, still have tightening coming out of europe but europe seems to be doing okay so maybe that's part of the dollar trade yeah, I was looking for the article, but did you by any chance see from the Central Bank of Russia that they're effectively exploring Bitcoin mining or will be Bitcoin mining for uh, imports and exports? And we've now wow. seen Russia become the second uh, largest country after the United States in Bitcoin hash rate. I wish I had the uh, right here. I think actually I got it right here. Let me. I found it. Sorry, guys, for the delay. It's off the cuff. But uh, here you go. Russia plans to mine crypto for cross-border deals, says Central Bank. So this is the Central Bank saying it. And this is not saying they're going to use it. This is saying they're going to mine it, right? And we've seen that Russian hash rate has gone up exceptionally over the past few months. Like I said, now the second largest. And they're still banning retail from transacting in Bitcoin, but saying that the Central Bank will do this. Is this a significant move in the narrative that Bitcoin can be digital gold. Because I, oh, yeah. what made me think of this is when you said these central banks are are hoarding gold by, at levels we haven't seen before. Russia, arguably the largest of those. Well, now they're considering doing that with Bitcoin as well. Well, I'm glad you went there because I completely agree with Saifedean Amos's book, um, The Bitcoin Standard, where central banks are inevitably going to have to start accumulating Bitcoin like they do gold. Now, when I first read it, I think it was 2018. I'm like, no way. But it's one thing I love about this space. Every day, like you're smiling, but every day it goes by, you have to be a rational Unitive. person. Like, it, yeah. it's, just, it's like Tether. Every day it goes by, it proves it's just bulletproof. <laughs> I mean, okay, that's a different story, but Bitcoin to me is going there. I completely agree. At some point, there's going to be central banks are going to be holding. It's going to be coming. Here's a current trajectory. The question is, you have to, is this going to end? Go. Bitcoin is well on pace becoming global digital collateral in a world going digital and it has diminishing supply 
uh, you know, and of course we have these nuances in the U.S., but why do I fill up my tax forms I have to put in there if I'm involved with cryptos? That shows how significant it is. And it just, we're going through that stage where oh, electricity is going to kill you and and trains go too fast for human beings. So I, I completely agree with that, but in, I have to think, and I fully expect a few, you know, maybe, I don't know when it gets, 100,000 is going to be on the, on the radar, but right now, we are in a pretty significant period where we have to see how we get through this recession, have to see if we're going to have at some point you get that decoupling inflection where stocks can go down and risk assets can go down and Bitcoin can trickle higher. And as I pointed out, on a one-year basis, Bitcoin's down 30%, stock market's down what 5%. It's still, yeah, it's this year it's done okay. But I'm just, I think it's too early days. I mean, if you even, I talk about it all the time, if you even just look at the halving cycle, right? We yeah. wouldn't expect people are talking about new all-time highs before we even get to a having you that's never happened and, and would be unprecedented even a move now back to the lows and then we come out of it a year from now 18 months from now six months after the having would fit the cycle so, so as there, we, there's as, nothing you're saying here that's crazy at all right so I as mean, as we were speaking, the Bloomberg TV wants me to comment on that comment. You probably saw the headline, oh, Bitcoin, because I have, is going to 50,000. Um, I, I don't disagree with that, but it's going to have to fight that overwhelming force of the almost certainty of a recession and how it reacts. So that's basically indicating that either stock market's not going to go down, the Fed's going to ease, and or Bitcoin's going to have a significant decoupling, or everything is going to just be fine. We're going to go back to those good old days of liquidity, everything goes up. Um, I completely agree with the halving, you know, it's supply going down, price must go to overtime unless demand is going down, but it's this confluence of the re election, recession, um, you got this war. I mean, there's so much kicking in with that having next year. It's going to be a great environment. Um, and you want to be, I think, responsibly buying Bitcoin. But as Dave mentioned, if you're leveraged, which was my environment, 20 to 1 typically, and you're leveraged at 30, you might get stopped out at 19, 17, and then it's going to go to 100. Um, but in the meantime, this is the key thing. I just can't, um, as a strategist, I can't keep my eye off of what's happening here. And that's like I said, when I saw record shorts and T-bonds, I said, okay, well, that's where you should be putting overweight. So people talk to 60-40 portfolio. Maybe it's 60-59-41 uh, for Bitcoin. I fully think it should be the other way right now, 40-60 or 40-59-1, um, meaning way overweight bonds. Yeah. I mean, interesting. So you're saying the fact that there's, and, and I, I mentioned earlier, so overweight shorting treasuries means that you should get into treasuries. Exactly. So that's, that's the, the way it works. Counter, uh, counter trading the overwhelming bearish sentiment on treasuries yeah. because it's going to go the other way. So it's 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 called managed money net positions. It's things I it's from the um, CFTC comes out once a week for people like me in futures. It's back of the hand. It's one of those things that from people like you in cryptos that you know you dig into the on chain data and stuff and know that a lot better. But it's it's basically hedge funds, leveraged money. It's people and futures are the most leveraged markets. I mean, like I said, typically it's twenty to one. <laughs> you get your leverage and what took down long term capital. They're hundred to one. A lot of it was, but. These hedge funds are the shortest ever, and that's 30 years, 10 years, and five years. They're all from the trading pit in Chicago. They're net short. So they probably have things against that. There's good reasons. There's trades for they're it. But it just they're not, yeah, they're, they're, they're yeah. just not like their entire fund isn't just short treasuries, right? But People should realize that. It's typically a sign you don't want to be selling treasuries there, and oftentimes, and last time this happened, it was a great opportunity to buy 10-year note yields around three, and they dropped to one. So it means I think the 
right? the price, some of the leverage things, the prices went two or three, up two or three X's. Yeah, Jeff here says, I'm way overweight bonds because I bought a ton of TLT. Well, so, okay, people, a lot of people um, bought that on the way down and it got way over, you know, it got, it was a worst bear market in history. But here's the key thing about U.S., um, about bond market. It's been, yields have been declining. Price have been going up for 40 years. And I started in trading pits in the 80s. It was just starting to accelerate. And we had this massive blip in that trend. Prices, yields popped up. And now I'm in the Fed, you know, a, a, um, a tightened aggressively. Now I'm pointing out those leading indicators for deflationary accelerating the downside, which means that enduring trend had a bit of a blip. It's probably heading back down. I saw that in gold last year. Gold has been going up forever. It blipped. It's going back up. Crude oil has been going down forever. It blipped in a bear market. It's going back down. Now, Bitcoin, it's in that at some point it's going to go back up. But that's the key thing I think that people are missing is we're heading towards a significant deflationary recession. I can point to all the metrics. Just look at natural gas. It's down the same price as 1990. And the Fed's still tightening, and the census, even Fed Governor um, from Atlantic Fed Dave Altek said, "Oh, it's we're pretty comfortable. We're heading towards a, a uh, soft landing." I don't know what part of the most aggressive tightening and the biggest liquidity in the world going away is going to lead to a soft landing. So, what are the people? I, listen, I go on. I was on Twitter Spaces this morning, and there was a somewhat renowned analyst saying that he believes still that inflation will rise massively in the coming months and years, that the Fed has not done enough. While you and I sit here looking at things saying in six months to 12 months, we're talking about deflation. So I'd love to introduce that person to Jeff Booth and the price of tomorrow. And just look what Tesla's doing lately. Tesla's, you ask, I love this, my colleague in the condo just Typical old Wall Street guys down in Miami just bought a Tesla. He goes, all the guys in the office has a Tesla. I asked my wife, what car do you want? Tesla. It's just, they're crushing it. And they're crushing it with rapidly advancing technology. And Death, Jeff Booth points that out. And I show it in commodities all the time. Why is the price of natural gas, the number one measure of heat, electricity, and fertilizer, the same price as it first traded in 1990? Imagine if you said that about the stock market. Well, people in Europe are actually saying that. The stock markets haven't been up for in Japan, it's still below that peak from 1990. So I, I look at that as I say, good luck. It's missing where we got to this inflation. Now, I'm some of us lived through that inflation in the 70s. Now, I was a kid then, but <clears throat> remember it distinctly. There was wars, there was poor policy, and then boomers were just crushing it. We had inflation for one reason. We had the biggest pump in liquidity in ever, ever. And I encourage anybody who calls for more inflation to read the book also, the read book, Boom and Bust. Quinn is one of the authors and pointed out all the dumps in history come in the back of pumps on liquidity. And we are in the process. The key thing is it's the trajectories, Scott. We're still dumping the liquidity. And I like I point out, PPI is falling at the greatest pace ever. And people will say, oh, it's not that important. I'm like, okay, well, it's the leader. So I do, I, I, it's just what people, it's what human nature does and forgets about the facts of looking forward, like Dave was mentioning earlier. Listen, I have the having cycles pulled up here. I happen to be looking at it because I want to make sure that I was accurate after our conversation. Each time that we've had a bottom, and we only, listen, it's not enough to call it a trend after two, and that we're effectively in the third one where this is being charted. But we bottomed here in 2015 in January, uh, 200 bucks. Don't you wish you were there, Mike? Um, but it well, took, my son was. <laughs> that's yeah, when he first it, introduced it took, me to it. I was like, yeah, it's still right. that money. That's right. So it took until August... <laughs> It chopped sideways and it revisited that low right here. Okay. There you go. And so in, in having two, 
Yeah, we went way up, which is kind of what it looks like here. But then we had the major crash. Yes, it was COVID. But if you just believe that charts are charts, I mean, it got back down to 3,800 when the low had been 3,200. Okay, so slightly higher low, but it took, yeah, that was March 20 and the bottom was December 18. So you're talking about, you know, 16 months later, right? So you would expect even in just that, that we should come back down and revisit somewhere in the area of 17, 18,000 at some time between now and the halving. So what the lesson we also learn in markets and those of us who um, used to have hair, um, you still do, is markets will go the direction of the most pain. So as you were saying that, a chart I'm pulling up right now is I just had to, I, you don't have to see, I can talk about it. Is There's a good example um, of you have to use past performance indicative of future, um, past uh, future returns, right? Well, one thing that's happening right now, it's never happened before, is a 50-week moving average on Bitcoin is below the 100 to 200 week. People call that a death cross. So about the time it crossed was probably when it put the low, is you have to make it as difficult as possible. But that's indicative how things have changed. One thing is Bitcoin's in the middle of the um, cash and carry trade now. Remember when those features were launched? We talked about this. Is This is going to just open up the cash and carry, carry trade where people can buy Bitcoin, hedge against the futures. It's going to crush the volatility. It's in the mainstream now. So don't expect it to appreciate like it has in the past. Obviously, that's not a very profound statement. But I will point out the technicals on the weeklies. It's never happened before. That's just how these having cycles we have to extrapolate for the difference in the future. And that's why I look at for next year's, uh, like I said, is Fed's tightening. Market's heading towards recession. Bitcoins, and that means risk assets typically go down, typically go down, and cryptos are among the riskiest of assets. Bitcoin has the advantage of being the least risky of the cryptos. I love it. So you guys might have seen that my face froze extremely awkwardly there. So I'm hoping, uh, I think we're going to go because I'm starting to have some technical issues I need to resolve over here. Mike, thank you so much. So speaking of Jeff Booth, I've got him tomorrow on Spaces. So you got to come wait. join. Um, and I don't know if you've heard the premise, but he, after my last um, roundtable conversation with him, which had a few, uh, you know, ETH and, and altcoin guys, you know, he's so calm and collected no matter what. He, yeah. uh, he emailed me and he said, Scott, call me. I want to tell you why your premise is wrong. He's like, I, I know you're a Bitcoiner, but I want to tell you why your premise is wrong. And I said, OK. And it kind of kept getting delayed. We were trying to connect. And so I said, let's just do it on Twitter spaces so everyone can listen. I'll be there. I'll take the beating. We invited a few more Bitcoiners, and I'm just going to sit there and let them convince me why I should be Bitcoin only, especially Jeff. So it should be a really interesting conversation. Uh, go ahead. That's part of the, the reason your program, what you do is so important. We have to be willing to listen to other opinions, particularly when they most know when they disagree with you so we can all come to consensus. And that's part. I'm interested in hearing why he says that. And there's few better people to, to make to say to completely disagree with you and make you feel good about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, and then I obviously when I tweeted that was going to happen, I got all these ETH people saying you need someone to be on the other side of the debate. Yeah, right. I said, it's not a debate. It's friendly conversation. We we talk right. about everything. Everybody doesn't have to be represented in every conversation. So um, thank you guys. And and I will be uh, at least loosely representing Mike. Awesome. Thank you. Sorry we had the technical issues and everything there, but uh, really great conversation. See you guys tomorrow in spaces, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Bye. That's dope.